0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast.
1: You're listening to episode 472 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Victoria Guido leads the business development and DevOps strategy for the mission control team at ThoughtBot. She is passionate about working across all teams in ThoughtBot to improve the developer experience and resiliency of systems. On the weekend, she is most likely to be outside climbing mountains, surfing, or hiking with her dog, Balu. Joe Ferris joined the ThoughtBot team as a developer in 2007. After four years on the development team, Joe stepped up to become ThoughtBot's CTO. In that role, he oversaw the growing development team as ThoughtBot expanded from Boston into San Francisco, New York, Austin, Raleigh, and London. He is the original author of several popular Ruby libraries, including FactoryBot, and has made contributions to projects like RSpec and Capybara. He enjoys teaching and was an early member of ThoughtBot's Upcase team. First of all, welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Victoria. Thank you. Happy to be here. And of course, welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Joe. Thank you. All right. Well, you two know the deal. I am definitely going to start with developer origin stories. So Victoria, what is your developer origin story?
2: I'm still on it, (laughs) but I knew I wanted to work in technology when I switched majors in college. And so I studied economics where I learned statistical programming and I got a job at the IT help desk. So troubleshooting, we were like imaging machines, building local area networks. And I worked my way up into a project management position by getting my master's in information technology and project management. And through that, I ended up getting a job with a team that was managing all the public facing websites for Department of Homeland Security and some projects also for US Department of Agriculture. So that's where I really got into DevOps and I started going to a lot of different meetups and I met the Women Who Code group and their Ruby team. That's where I started like actually writing Ruby code. And I also started organizing DevOps DC and ended up starting a DevOps group with Women Who Code. And that's kind of all the things that me around here today to thought about. And how about you, Joe? What is your developer origin
1: story?
0: Oh boy. My origin story is a little scandalous. I probably Ooh. shouldn't tell it. <laughs> but I'm going to. So when I was in high school, we all had graphing calculators and we were allowed to use them because it would give you the answer, but it didn't show your work. So on tests and things like that, you had to show you actually knew how to do it by doing out the work for the quadratic equation or whatever. And I started playing with the graphing calculator and discovered that you could program them. And so what I did is for every lesson we had in math, I would write a new program that would solve whatever you're trying to do, but also show you the work you should be writing out. And then I sold these programs to my fellow students for like two or $3 a piece. And this became a problem for the school because after half a semester of kids doing their tests this way, nobody actually knew any of the math and they were like three months behind now, but it wasn't against any of the rules. And so one of the administrators ended up pulling me aside and saying, we can't figure out what rule you're breaking by doing this but it's a problem. So I can promise you, if you keep selling these programs, you will no longer be a student here. So I almost got kicked out of high school for learning to program.
1: And did that just encourage you to keep going further with it? Or did you leave programming and then come back to it later in life?
0: No, I, I kept going. I did it mostly as a hobby until college. And then I did consulting part-time to pay for college because I, I, I didn't want to take out a bunch of loans. And then I ended up making enough money doing that, that I was like, why am I studying linguistics? I should just write software. Okay. or I am.
1: I love that. And how did both of you find Ruby?
2: Yeah, for me, the Women Who Code chapter in DC, where I'm from originally, is actually like the largest chapter and they have like the most series and the most people. And so Valerie Willard was running a Ruby series with Women Who Code. And that's one of the first ones I attended. And she did an exercise called it Exquisite Corpse, where there would be three groups and one would write the front end and one would write the back end. And then one would come up with what the idea was about. (laughs) So yeah, that was where I was like, oh, this is really fun. I like this.
0: I found Ruby in 2005. I think I was doing mostly Java and PHP at the time, but I was also reading a bunch of books because I didn't study computer science in college. So I was trying to sound like a professional. And I was reading about MVC and so I searched for MVC web frameworks and I found a couple of Java ones, but this one that was really hot at the time was Rails. And so I think like a lot of people, I came to Ruby because I found Rails.
1: I love that. Speaking of Ruby, Victoria, you just came back from Ruby Kaigi. Now we had Gemma Israf on the last episode, 471, talking about her experience, but I'd really love to hear your experience from the conference and what your goals in
2: attending were. Yeah, so I attended because Mina, who I think you've had on your podcast before, was attending. She got partial scholarship through the women and non-binary group in Ruby. And so she was going and she's like, oh, you should go. And part of it was I wanted to hear Mats, the inventor of Ruby, speak in Matsumoto, Japan, which I thought was just like really cool. And to really kind of hear what's the latest going on with this language, which has been so important to ThoughtBots development. And I also just wanted to go to Japan. I actually now think that going to a conference to a new place is a really cool way to travel because I made so many friends and we did real Japanese karaoke with Japanese people and it was super fun. So I love that. Joe, you've spoken at a lot of conferences. Do you have a favorite place
1: that you got to visit because of traveling for conferences?
0: Probably New Orleans.
1: Really? New Orleans of all places. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: I never would have gone there. If it weren't for the conference, because I'm not a big party drink, I don't know. I'm boring, but I actually really loved the city and the, the atmosphere and everything. So that was really cool.
1: I love that. I was just telling one of my coworkers today that I spoke at RubyConf Malaysia. Oh, this was like maybe five years ago, but the craziest thing that I did is that I flew out to Malaysia. I was there for two days for the conference and then I had to turn around and come right back. And I know in some ways, I think I might've spent more time on the plane. So It was a really amazing experience, but take it from me. If you get a chance to speak somewhere amazing like that, try to make a trip of it if you can. So, Joe, this question is aimed at you. I am someone who learned Ruby and Rails in 2014. And ThoughtBot has just been an institution in both the Rails and Ruby community. It's been interwoven in both their stories, just all the investment into the tools, the content, the podcasts. Why is that?
0: Let me say first, it's a very kind question. I don't know that I've ever received a question that is so wrapped up in a compliment before. So... I appreciate it for us. It was because we have always assumed that things should be open by default. ThoughtBot's open source culture even precedes me joining ThoughtBot. But I can say personally, having been a consultant for a long time, what I've learned is that for most companies, their source code is not their secret sauce. It's their secret shame. And so like the idea that you need to keep it all secret and proprietary, because if somebody else finds out how you're coding, then you've given away your edge, I think is silly. And so what I've done is whenever I built something by default, I open source it. Like we even had a number of the products that we ran were open source, even while we were charging for them.
1: I remember sitting on a train in San Francisco and reading the playbook and I was just like amazed that ThoughtBot had such a way about how they ran the consultancy and to like turn around and open source their playbook was just like kind of wild to me, but in some ways pushed you to be better, right?
0: I think so. And I think the reason people wouldn't do that, I guess, is they fear that their competitors would pick up on that. But if you're hoping to succeed by having your competitors be bad, that's not really striving for success. And so we were happy to talk about what we were doing and we're always trying to make it better. So plenty of people have told us, oh yeah, we read your playbook and you know, we've implemented a lot of that at our company. And that's really cool to me. And I don't find it threatening. I find it awesome.
1: I agree. So, I mean, ThoughtBot got started in Rails, right? And at one point, it looked like ThoughtBot was going to diversify to other languages and frameworks. But looking at your current site, it looks like you're focused on Rails, Django, Elm, React, and Native Mobile. I'm curious. Did you get started in Rails? And then how did you land on the current languages and frameworks that you now support?
0: I joined ThoughtBot in 2007. And at that point, the bulk of ThoughtBot's work was Rails. But ThoughtBot actually didn't get started in Rails. Early on, ThoughtBot did a lot more IT kind of work. And early programming languages were Java and THP primarily. You can actually... All of our blog posts, even the really ancient ones, some of which are... Let's say they're outdated. All of our blog posts are still online. So you can actually go back and find the blog post where we say that we've started doing Ruby on Rails. I think it's in like 2005.
1: That's amazing. Okay. Then how did you land the frameworks and languages that I listed? How have those become the core ones that you support? Are these the ones that your clients have the most success and longevity on? Are these the ones that your software developers are most proficient on? I'm curious like how you landed on those.
0: Some of the languages we got into come from ThoughtBot's concept of investment time. So mm-hmm. we give people a, a guaranteed amount of time each year to invest in themselves, the community and in ThoughtBot. And a decent number of folks have used that time to either learn new languages for fun or learn open source. And then that can turn into opportunities. Some of them have been more intentional, strategic investments. Like, for example, when we started building iOS apps, we looked at building them in Ruby, but it was much more practical at the time to build them in Objective-C. And so we started doing Objective-C and then Swift. And then when React Native became popular, we started doing more of that. I think it's been a mix. Elm is an example of one where we've had a decent amount of client work in Elm, but we learned it because there were people at the company that were just like, this is cool. I learned it. And then when the leads came in, we were like, yes, we can do Elm. Whereas React definitely. No, actually, I think there were people who are interested in React before, but we did make a strategic decision. Like we should have people doing React. It's important for our customers.
1: I am one of those podcast listeners that listen to those podcast hosts, get excited about Elm. And then it's kind of cool to see that it did end up having a staying power at ThoughtBot. Do you currently use one service for uptime monitoring, another one for error tracking, another for status pages, and yet another to monitor your cron jobs and microservices? Paying for all those services separately may be costing you way more than you think. If you want to simplify your stack and lower your bills, it's time to check out Honey Badger. Honey Badger combines all of those services into one easy to use platform. It's everything you need to keep production healthy and your customers happy. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That is honeybadger.io. Thank you to Honey Badger for their continued support of the Ruby on Rails podcast. So, in the same vein of podcasts, Why, Victoria, does ThoughtBot continue to invest in podcasting?
2: I joined the Giant Robots podcast as a co-host last year. And for me personally, it's been just fascinating to hear founders' stories about why they chose to do what they do and how passionate they are about the problems that they're solving. So I think that those are still really important stories to tell. And I think on a business perspective, it gives us an opportunity to reach out to people who are doing cool and interesting things and have a conversation with them in a way that's not so salesy. And maybe it never turns into sales, but they now know a little bit more about ThoughtBot. Their customers know who we are because they follow them and listen to them. So it it makes sense on an awareness level. And also, it's just fun. I love the fact that like ThoughtBot at one
1: point, I think there were six different podcasts, which must have been so much to manage. And currently you have the two, right? So it is the Bugshed, which is very loved by the Ruby community. And then, you know, Giant Robots, which is very loved by like the founder community. So those two have two very different initiatives. What is the current goal for Giant Robots going forward?
2: I think my main goal is to keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> to grow our readership and maybe talk a little bit more about founders who are working on products for developers and for more deeply technical problems to solve. Since that's something that ThoughtBot has been really good at historically, I think it makes sense to kind of bring up those stories a little more to light and talk about all the growth that's happening in that market as well.
1: Joe, I'm curious your take. Why do you think ThoughtBot continues to invest in podcasting? Because it is a lot of work. And I know at one point you had a dedicated editor on it. So I'm curious where it fits into ThoughtBot's maybe marketing strategy.
0: Yeah, it definitely fits in a marketing strategy. Like a lot of people hear about us through the blog or podcasts or things like that. But also I think it's intrinsically part of our culture to talk about what we're doing. We love to share. We are constantly in Slack going like, look at this thing I found. And so we're always looking for new ways to share with the community as well, both because we like sharing, but because we think things should be open by default and podcasts are one of many channels for doing that.
1: Is ThoughtBot now remote first? Do the offices still exist? Like, I'm curious what the evolution's been on that front.
0: The offices no longer exist, which is bittersweet. We are all remote now. We went home like many people during the pandemic, and as it continued for a while, we made the decision to switch to remote company. And being totally honest, there are a lot of things I miss about working people in person. But we have also been able to hire a lot of people that we would not have been able to Mm -hmm. if we were still doing office first. Even if we were remote friendly, we tried to be remote friendly in the office days and it was really difficult to do a hybrid. I've personally never seen it done well. And since we went full remote, suddenly we could hire people on locations that it wasn't possible for us to have an office. Like we can't have a hundred offices. And so I miss the office, but I also like the team that we have.
1: I love that. So Victoria, I know that you're on mission control. So I want to talk about platform engineering for Ruby on Rails devs. How did ThoughtBot ended up landing into this niche? Because this wasn't something historically that ThoughtBot was known for.
2: So I joined the mission control team last year and it was Joe and a few other team members who are working on building a set of tools that would work in AWS to deploy for Ruby on Rails in an opinionated way. So I think it was about how do we deploy to different cloud environments that aren't necessarily built for Ruby on Rails, but how do we make them specific enough and meaningful and easy enough to manage to fit our typical clients and our developers at Thoughtbot. Does that sound right to you, Joe?
0: Yeah, I might be able to give a little more history. Because I think by the time you joined, we were at least trying to wedge ourselves firmly in that niche. We historically tried not to do too much on the operations side, like Rails. There's a good history of platform as a service, platforms, services that you could deploy Rails to without a ton of configuration, like Heroku was the one we used the most. But we did consistently over the years get people who asked for either deploying to their own whatever cloud they were using or they had really specific compliance or security concerns that we struggled with on Heroku. And so at some point, one of those clients asked us if they wanted us to deploy to AWS instead of Heroku. And we said yes. And we debated, do we go and have some other company do this for us? And we'll partner with somebody or are we just going to try and figure this out? And I said, OK, I'll just figure it out. I'm just going to deploy this Rails app to AWS. And I feel like at this point I could write a book called All I Wanted Was an Environment Variable (laughs) uh, because I started with, they want me to deploy a Rails app to AWS and now I'm getting like certifications in Kubernetes and building all these Terraform modules. But it's been a really cool journey. I think it was useful for us to be forced out of our comfort area because a lot of what we looked at as frankly, a waste of time in the DevOps community before, there's actually a lot of power in And there are a lot of things, once you get comfortable with those technologies, that it makes it much easier to build as companions to a Ruby on Rails application, rather than trying to fit everything into that square hole. I guess Ruby is not really square, but you know.
1: So essentially, you ended up creating like a playbook around deploying to AWS internally and decided to market that as a client service?
0: I would say first, I tried to find a playbook. I had this feeling... Seriously, for two years, deploying things at AWS, that I must be the only one doing this way. I must be the dumbest person on the internet not to be able to figure out how to deploy a Rails application more efficiently than this. But the more I explored and the more I talked to people and when you started interviewing developers, people told the same story a lot of the time that it was like, everybody's doing it their own way. Everybody has their own little private suite of modules in whatever language they're using. And it seems to be part of the culture of AWS and DevOps that you build your own unique snowflake for your platform. And having spent so much time in Rails and really enjoyed the power of convention over configuration, but I was not having that. And so I was (laughs) I started trying to establish some conventions for ThoughtBot. And as I got more confident with it and more people started saying, oh, actually, yeah, I also wanted an environment variable. We started kind of pushing our approach to doing things. And it's been great since we kind of figured out how to do it.
1: Have either of you taken a chance looking at MRSK? I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. Have you tried it out at all? Because I haven't had a chance yet.
2: I did. I actually paired with another developer who was trying it out at Thoughtbot. And I mean, it struck me like it can be pretty simple, but I think it still has some of the same basic security concerns around secrets management. That would apply anytime if you're actually going to make it like an enterprise level tool. I don't know that it's quite there. And I think that some of the things we put in our platform guide are way more sophisticated. (laughs) Joe, have
1: you had a chance to look at MRSK yet?
0: I've looked at MRSK. I haven't used it. I'm really curious why there needs to be another container orchestrator. Like we have quite a few of those. And there was kind of a battle for a while between things like console and Kubernetes and everything, but it really seems like Kubernetes won. So I don't know. It looks to me like maybe it'll be great once a lot of people are using it, but it looks like reinventing things that are already fully solved elsewhere. I swear I've spent half my time on projects watching people re-implement Kafka one feature at a time. And that's what <laughs> that project looks like to me.
1: It's a really good point, actually. It's a really good point. I mean, it is absolutely heart-wrenching to watch somebody reimplement implement Or just like a couple of things that have been pretty tried and true, or re implement factory bot things like that. I love a spicy opinion. So thank you for that, Joe. I saw that the Thoughtbot incubator program just opened up for applications. And so I would love it if someone could explain that program to me because it feels like Thoughtbot has a zillion programs going on at once. And this one looked really cool.
2: Yeah. So this will be the second round. We just finished our first round of incubator program, which is eight weeks. That we focus on customer discovery, long term product strategy, and maybe doing one or more proof of concept experiments that kind of prove the value of an idea. So that sets a founder up at the end of the program to be able to go to investors and get funding or to launch their MVP and get started. So that's the idea behind the program. And yeah, I'm excited about it as well. Actually, going to be interviewing. Agnes, who went through our program earlier this year on the Giant Robots podcast next week. So that episode will be coming out soon.
1: Oh, fabulous. We'll definitely have to link to that in the show notes. I think my favorite thing about the page, and we'll link this, of course, in the show notes as well, is that you talk about what this program is not. So Victoria, could you maybe touch upon those as well?
2: So we won't necessarily launch the MVP but the proof of concept would be enough to validate that the idea is worth investing more time and resources in. So it's not necessarily going to give you a fully bound product that you can take to market, but it will tell you whether or not you should continue investing your time and building that product and taking it to market. And we don't help with incorporating your business or getting your legal or financial set up. But we have people we can connect you with to help you do those things. And it's not a cohort based incubator, so. It's not where you'll be networking with other startups necessarily, but we can connect you to other groups that might set you up for that type of collaboration. Yeah, I think that makes so much sense. I mean,
1: you don't want to get messed up in that legal stuff if that's not your expertise. I think setting that expectation around the MVP is smart. And then also there is no shortage of groups out there that are startups trying to mingle with other startups. And in some ways those can be so valuable But I think trying to reinvent the wheel at ThoughtBot on that front is not a good use of time. However, this program allows ThoughtBot to do what they do well, and that is help push you towards actually validating your product before you put too much resources into it. And then just like making sure that your vision is clear and that you can have the best tips to be able to hire for your team eventually. It's like having that like secret technical co-founder for a minute. But I am curious, would you bring people on into the incubator that don't have any technical skills? Do they need to have any technical skills to be in it?
2: You don't need any technical skills to be in it. It is like having a technical team or having another voice there who can be that for you. So that will really help you plan and find and hire and work with product and technology teams moving forward. And so, yeah, you just have to have a good idea and want to really iterate on that and find out if there's a market for it and go from there. So,
1: Awesome. I think it's a really excellent opportunity. So listeners, if you're interested, definitely check that out in the show notes. This is a question that I like to ask each of my guests. And so, Victoria, I'm going to start with you. Coming fresh off of Ruby Kaigi, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities?
2: Someone asked me this question before, someone who worked in .NET extensively, and they asked me what was really the advantage for Ruby and Ruby on Rails. And what I said was that it's known for being nice (laughs) and for being a group of people you actually want to work with, which I think for me, being a woman in technology means I'm more likely to find people who are actually going to be nice to me. And that is somewhere I want to be. And I think that It goes a long way too in open source and contributing back to the technology and to the languages that you have this expectation that people are going to treat you politely. And I've even heard that about like in the open telemetry space that that group that's working on Ruby is nicer than the other groups. (laughs) I think that that continues to be true and it's always going to be a
1: strength for this group. I think it's always good to have a reminder to just be kind, no matter what, just be kind. Joe, for you, same question.
0: I feel like I was in the Ruby community pretty early in a lot of the early years I spent defending the decision to use Ruby. And that doesn't happen anymore, which is really cool. And so I think Rails has proven that we can get through the early stage. I think Rails has fended off some of the contenders like Node.js, Next.js. It still has its place. And so the question is where to go to next, like how to make... Ruby even better, how to make Rails even better. I think just a random thought from me is one of the things I struggle with the most in Ruby is building things that are modular. There's been a lot of debates lately about monolith versus microservices. And Kelsey Hightower, who, I don't know, I know him from Kubernetes, but he had some really interesting things to say about how what actually matters is modularity and that microservices are a deployment artifact. And I thought about how can you apply that to Rails? And it's difficult because Ruby does not have really a tight packaging and modularity for its components, which means I think a lot of people reach for services because what they're actually looking for is that separation of concerns beyond just being in a different file. And so what I've been thinking about for what's next for Ruby, what's next for Rails, since I heard that conversation was, how can I get that modularity in my Rails applications without always adding a new service. So now maybe some other people listening are thinking about that as well.
1: Okay. So you would like to see that solved within Rails itself or would you like to see a solution proposed by the users of the Rails community?
0: I think it would have to be solved in Ruby if it were going to be solved for good. Like Mm -hmm. Ruby still doesn't have legit modules, but I am interested in... I don't know, just seeing what kind of metaprogramming wizardry I can come up with that forces me to separate my modules more. It's possible it could be solved because there are so many things you can build on top of Ruby. It's possible the same way like site work exists that you could build something that enforces modularity versus just managing the order of dependencies.
1: Okay. Now, as someone who's been in the Ruby and Rails community for quite some time, we have lost members to... This sounds so dark, but we've lost members to other communities. Do you think we're at the point where we can coax them back or do you think we still have some work to do?
0: That's a good question. I feel like I'm the wrong person to ask because I've never understood that leaving the community thing. Like I remember reading blog posts, like why I'm leaving Rails, why I'm leaving. Like you don't have to break up with your programming language. I've learned like 70 programming languages since I first started doing Ruby and I still do Ruby. What do people mean when they say that? They just decide they're never going to look at Ruby again. Why would you do that?
1: That is bizarre.
0: (laughs) So I guess my take is the people who said that and said they're leaving. It's like, okay, that was weird. Like most people are just not going to say that they're staying or leaving because you don't have to stay or leave. You just are a part of more than one community.
2: Victoria, how can listeners follow you? I'm on all the social media apps. so I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and I'm on Blue Sky now. And Mastodon. So I've got it all out there and I'll share them in the show notes. All right. Well, you're the person who's going to give me a Blue Sky invite
1: because I have not crossed over yet. (laughs) All right. Well, Victoria's given out Blue Sky invites listeners. No, I'm just kidding. They're all for me. We'll link that up in the show notes. How about you, Joe?
0: You can find me on Twitter. I'm Joe Ferris. And also I am on Mastodon. ThoughtBot has a Mastodon instance and I am jferris at thoughtbot.social.
1: Awesome. Listeners, if you can't find ThoughtBot, I don't know what you've been doing, but <laughs> I will link them up in the show notes as well in case you are looking for all their great podcasts and content. Victoria and Joe, thank you so much for being on the show today and for answering all of my questions. I'm excited for what direction all the things that we talked about are going and we'd love to have you on the show again.
2: Thank you, Brittany.
0: Thanks, it was fun. You've been listening to the Rupi on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.